I finally had time to rest and reflect and re- reprioritize, that was sort of at the same time when the George Floyd incident happened. And I recognized that I think my generation, I'm a, I'm a millennial, you know, it's not that we didn't want to be involved politically, but we were all just grinding so hard with work because we came out of college and there was a recession in 2007, 2008. There was an, another collapse. We, a lot of us were swimming in debt from school and there weren't a lot of social state safety nets. So we went right into the workforce, full steam ahead. A lot of us had side gigs and side hustles and all that. So when the bottom kind of fell out, I've talked to a lot of my friends about this. And it was like all of a sudden you pulled your head out of the sand and you're like, oh my God, look at what's going on around the world. I'm not okay with any of this, but we've been working so hard. We didn't, we didn't know. We didn't have the capacity and the energy, right? The energy management to be able to redirect towards the greater good. And so now with all of these protests, I think it's almost like, it's like divine timing because without COVID and everything that happened economically, I don't know if what happened to George Floyd would have created the impact that it did because people finally had the time to see what was going on around them and say, this is not okay. And I'm not working right now, or I'm, I'm way back on my hours right now. So I actually have the time to get involved, to protest, to uh, join a committee, or I, I don't have as much time, but I have more time than I did. I can, I can donate to these causes. I can get more involved. I can talk to my family. And so I just find it interesting that all of these things have lined up and have made me definitely take pause and just wonder how they all interact and connect together. Because I do think there is a strong connection there. So a mission statement for climate change, a mission statement for the Me Too movement, a mission statement for Black Lives Matter, where in the Black Lives Matter particularly issue, that we as white people can sit back and and be allies. Yeah, yeah. And I think we we have to. We have to do a better job. And and I like the word, I read this really interesting article about the difference between an ally and accomplice and an accomplice. And I thought it was interesting, the idea of an, an accomplice is someone that's right there with them standing shoulder to shoulder. And I felt like I was always an ally but now, with this sudden change in lifestyle, I was able to be much more of an accomplice. And that's really where I wanted to be. That's mm-hmm. the space I wanted to be in. And I did not have the bandwidth to do that. And so for me, now it's like I'm trying to build in that space moving forward so that no matter what it, what changes, because of course things are going to change again, that I'll still be able to um, provide support in a meaningful way to you know, all of those communities, those vulnerable populations um, that need help, that need our support. And so it's been just very enlightening. But but I also think, you know, when you when you talk about these issues, you can't really talk about one without talking about another. And and so these conversations that people are having, you can't talk about rest without talking about capitalism, right? You can't talk about um, authoritarianism without talking about, you know, sort of the 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 new green deal like these these sort of things that are that are sort of these um counterpoints to one another and so for me it's like if we're if we're going to have this one conversation we're really having three others at the same time if we if we recognize those interactions and those exchanges 
Well, what that involves is active listening. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also something that I think as I've been reading and learning and studying, you know, just learning um, as a white woman where my blind spots have been and also where my privilege lies, which is, you know, being white. And so recognizing when to speak and when to just stand back and support. What I try to help people explain that I use this type of uh, analogy that it doesn't matter whether you were born in the back hills of Kentucky in an outhouse with no electricity or running water. Mm -hmm. If you're white, you're born with X number of basis points. Right. And if you're born of color, no matter where you are, you have maybe a half or a third of those basis points to start off with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just, uh, for this country, it's a hard history for people to acknowledge and to talk about. They take it extremely personally. And I, I don't think we get anywhere when people can't have those tough conversations. Well, those are hard conversations, particularly with white privilege. Exactly. And a lot of what we, the rhetoric that we hear now, Natalie, is based on fear. Fear that, fear that something's going to be taken away yes. from you yes. or that you're not going to get something that you're entitled to that you deserve. Yeah, and I think entitlement is a big a big issue right now because we misuse that word a lot, you know, and we misdirect, I think, anger a lot and we misdirect frustration a lot. And, you know, someone said something on Twitter and it was really interesting. They said, well, if you're, you know, people don't want to come back to work because they're making, you know, $600 a week just sitting at home, but I'm at Amazon and I have to I had to come back to work. So I'm really mad at basically those people staying at home, but it's like, well, really what you should be mad at <laughs> is a system where you're making more on unemployment than you are at a job where the man that runs that warehouse is the richest man in the world. So it's like but it's much easier to get I think angry with the little guy, so to speak, because I think on some level, people want to emulate these top dogs or in their mind what they think these top dogs are. Well, we, and again, I'm going to blame a whole lot on the media who has placed people of wealth and status as as idols or people that we're supposed to emulate and worship. Uh, There's people talk about them all the day. I've never seen a statue to Jonas Salk in Pittsburgh. Right. He developed a polio vaccine right. at the University of Pittsburgh. And and they do a very good job, mainstream media as well, to stereotyping different, um, you know, minority groups, right? Only showing black people in a certain light in, in media, only showing um, Hispanic or Latino people in a certain light. And so when you have a, a very corporate-driven media showing people only in one way, or whether it's by race, class, gender, whatever you, whatever which way they're trying to divide you, it becomes harder to to seek out those commonalities. Well, sure, you, the Black Lives Matter protests about social justice, finding a voice, equality, mm-hmm. uh, and then the next thing that maybe someone else shows is maybe some looters, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, that's what's called obfuscation, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. It's it's directing, it's veering away yes. from the original purpose. Correct. By showing something that is irrelevant to mm-hmm. its its message, its mission statement. Right, and I and I agree with that too. And I think we have to always check ourselves when we when we start to veer down those roads and and ask, well, 
are people looting regardless of who they are or what their reasoning is is that still is that more important than to you than people dying right so it's like there if you're more upset by the destruction of property than you are with people being killed because of the color of your their skin you need to have a conversation with yourself. Well, we always want to say, let's check the facts. What yes. do you know for sure? Exactly. And when people talk to me about Black Lives Matter, and then they counter that with, well, all lives matter. Right. Well, and again, what what white people are doing is taking away yep. the black people's voice yes. and saying, now, settle down, mm-hmm. calm down, all lives matter. You just be quiet. Right. Because all lives matter. We don't want to hear you. Go to the back of the room. And really what, and I'm just, I'm not speaking for my friends uh, with color in their skin by saying that I would be, if I was a person of color, I'd be viewing that as saying white lives matter. Exactly. And, And I think it's the idea of if you had, you know, a bunch of houses on a street and you had one house on fire and someone's going, that, that house... We need to do something about that house that's on fire. And then somebody else saying, well, all the houses on the street are important. No, but that one's on fire. Like that one needs our attention. I, I think that's kind of the way I like to look at it because it's like no one's saying that, you know, other lives don't matter. But I think we need to point out that black lives matter in this moment because th- those lives are not being respected. And haven't been for 400 years. Exactly. Exactly. So in the Christian Bible... Jesus refers 184 times to the responsibility to help the poor, the marginalized, the yes. oppressed, uh, the falsely imprisoned. Uh, do you think mm-hmm. he meant it? <laughs> I would hope. Yeah, I think after 184 times. Yes. So, <laughs> I think there was something to it. So yeah. if you're a Christian, that means that you follow the life actions and behaviors of Jesus. That's okay? right. Mm-hmm. So, nothing else. Nothing else. Right, right, right. It's interesting because, as we all know, you know, people like to manipulate what they hear and see to make it work for their own agenda. But I think that's why it comes back to the idea of having some sense of personal philosophy and understanding of how you want to be in the world. How do you navigate the Your world? Your mission statement. That's right. So I do think it's important that what what are you putting out there and why? And can you stand by that? And how do you stand by that? Well, as a therapist, you know that you know that there's many cognitive biases, mm-hmm. and one of them is confirmation bias, mm-hmm. is when you seek out information that confirms your existing yes. beliefs. Well, I have to ask you, what are your thoughts on what's going on with people in masks and this incredible, this, this wild phenomena of people just refusing to wear masks, saying that it's violation of their personal rights. Like, how do you view that from a psychological perspective? How do I handle that? Mm-hmm. Well, I handled it not with a patient, of course, but with somebody I knew was telling me about how dare they take away my rights. So I'm not going to have to wear a mask, all these type of things. So I said, you know what? I haven't seen your driver's license for a while. Can I take a look at it? And uh, they showed it to me. I said, oh, that's a wonderful picture. And I, I grabbed a pair of scissors and I put the scissors on it, and I was going to cut it in half. And they used to think, no, don't cut my, what are you doing? Don't cut my. I said, how dare they, how dare someone tell you that you have to have this piece of plastic to drive a car? How dare, how dare they infringe on your rights like that? I'm going to cut it up, and we're going to throw it away. No, 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 no. <laughs> and I think that's a really, really interesting and funny thing to do, and and, and it kind of underscores the point. And I, I also find it fascinating 
that it there there does seem to be a large outcry of you know men white men in particular that are against these masks and and I go back to this idea that you know I don't think white men have ever been policed before for what they're wearing or what they're not wearing and it was sort of like I was having a conversation of, about this with a friend I said well welcome to the club because there's a whole lot of us out there you know women and black and brown people that are being policed by how they present themselves in public all the time and I just think it's interesting that at this moment in history, when this is a public safety issue, and it's not a big deal, wearing a mask in public, it is not a big deal. On the list of things that could be required to go out in public, this is not a big deal. But I, I do think that that is an interesting point to kind of look at because there is that level of entitlement and having things always sort of go their way and it's not going their way right now. And I think that that's a really hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. Well, Hannibal Lecter didn't wear a mask to protect himself. He wore a mask to protect you. That's, true. that's right. Okay. That's so absolutely right. It's kind of silly when you see these big burly men wearing bulletproof vests with automatic rifles standing in front of courthouses yeah. about not wearing masks. And yet they're trying to tell yes. all types of females what to do with their bodies. Mm -hmm. Oh, the irony is unbelievable. And it was certainly wasn't lost on people. I mean, we had that protest going on at the same time as Black Lives Matter protesting, peacefully protesting the uh, murder of, you know, black lives at the hands of our police. And the juxtaposition of that, I mean, if that doesn't show you what privilege is, I don't know what it is. I mean, you've one group protesting for to save their own lives. You have another group protesting so they could get a haircut. You know, I mean, it's just, that's just the facts. That's just what was going on. And so... I just think everybody needs to take a step back and, and just see where their role is in this and how they can adjust. And I don't understand why people, if people are feeling so cemented in their belief system, because, you know, once you learn new information, you adjust, right? You evolve. You go, oh, okay, I didn't know that before. Now that I know that, I'll, I'm going to do this differently from now on. I don't think that that's that big of a deal, but for some people, it seems like that's a really... It's almost asking too much for them to readjust their worldview or readjust even a small part of it based on new information. Well, saying saying I don't know is a perfectly fine yes, answer, absolutely. which no one really likes to say because mm -hmm. they believe that they'd be viewed as ignorant. Yeah. No, you're you're a hundred percent right. But I think that like what you were saying too earlier about you can find information that backs up your worldview, especially in the internet age, in this world of information, if there's something that you believe, and I guarantee there's somebody else online that shares that view. And so we kind of are almost living in a post-information, post-truth society. And that's so concerning to me, especially moving closer to an election when a lot of our newspapers are falling apart, a lot of our, our uh, sources of real you know, journalism that's really backed by editors and people that are, are gatekeeping and fact-checking and making sure these aren't bloggers online, right? These are real investigative journalists. Seeing all of that falling down around us, not just here in Pittsburgh, but around the country, newspapers are suffering and news sources in general are suffering. It is very concerning because it, it does allow for that sort of thought to be out there that, you know, only what I believe is truth, right? Without actually reading what some other perspectives are on things. Well, when anything that you don't like, you can just label as fake. I, I know. And that is terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. And, and you know, I, I think because that has happened, 
because we're in a space right now where the word the words fake news are just being thrown around every day, it really is concerning because when you can confuse people as to what is true, you can manipulate people into believing a lot of things. And that's what, what I'm worried about as we move forward. So we go back to the three essentials of recovery. Honesty, open-mindedness, mm-hmm. and the willingness to try mm. to have that beginner's mind and not the expert's mind. Yeah, and you know that I like that the beginner's mind because you know I've been doing yoga now for eleven years. Wow. Yeah, and when I started, I remember my teacher said, "After ten years, you can say that you're no longer a beginner." Ah. <laughs> and I've always thought that because I still very much consider myself a, a, a beginning beginner's yogi for sure. But I always try to keep that in mind when I'm learning about things because. You're not an expert after reading a few articles about any subject. You're not an expert after taking a few courses on any subject. It's years and years of study on topics and the willingness to do the work, right? And so I, I agree with that completely. Keeping that beginner's mind, being willing to w- that willingness to be open to new ideas, and once again, also being willing to challenge your own set of philosophies. I mean, I changed my mind on a few things this year. And one of them was definitely my thoughts on police. I had a very, I just had a very specific set of thoughts on the police. Like we needed, you know, these people to protect us. And there was this real sense of like, what would I do without the police? And then when I started to really learn and, and, and study and listen to some of my friends that had very different experiences, my viewpoints on how much power we should be giving them and what they should actually be doing changed very radically within a few months. And it's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with saying I didn't know these things and now I'm still learning. I don't have a I don't have a clear yet philosophy on what I feel about um police or incarceration, but I definitely have been evolving those opinions and w- and those thoughts in ways that I really hadn't even looked at 6 months ago. So you're taking another perspective. Yes. Okay. And I'm and I'm always trying to look at things through a lens with a lens of compassion or empathy. Well, we can't always assume that we're right, Natalie. It's true. And as an Aries, that can be very difficult. <laughs> but it's uh, fine. Even I'm not right all the time. Well, you were talking <laughs> earlier about the way we were talking earlier about the zeitgeist. Then this is an opportunity where people, there's changes and people can make choices. People yes. do have choices. So you made uh, you made some choices in your life recently. Yeah. Some, some you definitely reversed course. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Up until April, I was working at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette as the scene editor and covered all of the nonprofit events around the city. And I did the advice column and web shows and all of this great stuff. And I absolutely loved it. And then I had a meeting with an editor and it was very dehumanizing. And I just thought, am I going to, what am I going to do? And, and I went home and I, I had a panic attack. And I've I've only had like two panic attacks my whole life. Uh-huh. So like I knew what it was. Yeah. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> and I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat. And the only thing that got me to calm down was this little voice in my head saying, just quit. Like this isn't this isn't worth it. And people, and, places, things. Yes. And it it realized I realized that I wasn't gonna be going anywhere in that space, right? I was kind of at the ceiling of what I was gonna be doing there. And I'd done it for a long time. We were in the middle of a pandemic. 
there wasn't going to be events. If I was going to leave, it would actually be an easier transition because I wouldn't be leaving in the middle of this high season and sort of abandoning ship, right? So I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to work somewhere where I'm not valued and I'm not respected. And I was, I've never done anything like that in my life. I am a planner. I like to know the next step. Um, I like to be very mindful financially of every move I'm making. So it was the most, I wouldn't even say it was impulsive. It wasn't impulsive, but it was just the most, um, I, I really left without looking for the first time professionally, probably ever. And it was so liberating. I mean, and I, and I have to say this too, disclaimer, I, I have a side um, company, so I do digital media consulting. And that was the reason I could make that choice because in my mind, because I knew I would still be able to cover my bills. So I, I like to put that out there because sometimes I think you hear people say that they did these incredible or crazy things and they landed on their feet, but you don't hear the backstory. And a lot of them have like families that support them and spouses that can help them or other safety nets in place. So I think that that's, I just wanted to kind of make that clear that I had a, my own little safety net, but leaving was so freeing because the minute I did, a lot of other opportunities suddenly showed up. Well, Natalie, there's a difference between a risk and a gamble. Right. A gamble, you can lose everything. That's true. A risk you can recover from. That's a good point. Yes. And this was definitely that. It was definitely a risk. So what I suggest to people is, number one, what does your fact-finding, data-gathering brain mm -hmm all these shifts, shifting thoughts and data that you sort out, what is your view of this situation? And then I ask people, what's your emotional center? Mm -hmm. What is your heart? How does your heart view this? How does your heart grasp this situation? Mm -hmm. And then I'll ask them, what does your intuition say? Mm -hmm. What's your gut mm -hmm. feeling mm -hmm. about this? And I tell them that when your head, your heart, and your gut align, you'll know your path. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly accurate and true. And yeah, I, I, it's just been a, it's been an interesting experience to do this, but for me, it was the right choice. And I, you know, I, I was feeling stagnant anyway, and I'm not somebody that likes that complacency feeling. I like to keep challenging and keep moving forward and trying new things. So I knew that I wanted to go soon. Did I want it to be so dramatic and so, you know, in the way that it went down, of course not. But what are you going to do? I mean, you have to roll with the punches. And on top of it, like I said earlier, after you, after you lose people or something else big happens to you, you really look at things differently. And at that point I was just like, this is, this will be fine. Like this is just a transition. This is nobody's dying here. Unlike, you know, so, so for me, Everything's been in perspective, even with COVID. I feel everything's kind of been in perspective because, yeah, it's it's hard not going out. I haven't gone to a restaurant. I haven't. I mean, I've been ordering food in to be supportive, but I don't. I don't go to restaurants. I'm not going to any parties. It's nothing like that. And so it's just such a you do more in parts of your life, right? But at the same time, it's just not been. It's not that bad compared to other things that have happened. So I do think a lot of this has to be to be part of it is perspective. And some people I think are having a harder time coping 
You know, they haven't really built those skills yet, or maybe they've never had to. I like your talk when you keep talking about perspective. And in the Buddhist world, death defines life, mm. which means that it's more important to be in the moment, deal yeah. with what's right in front of you. Right. So in the Catholic Church on Ash Wednesday, when the priest puts the cross on your head with the ashes from the palms that they burnt, mm -hmm. uh, he says, remember, men, that thou art dust, and mm -hmm. to dust thou shalt return. That's right. What's right in front of me? What can I do right now? I'm right here. It's right now. And I think that's so true. And, you know, I, I totally feel that deeply. I was with both my dad and my grandmother when they both passed. That's a very transformative. You want to talk about transformative. That's for me. That was a very transformative. That's thing. wonderful. That's yeah, beautiful. It was. It was. What a and privilege. I know. It was such an honor to be with them. And I just remember thinking, wow, like their journey is over here. This this part of their journey is over. And I just kept thinking to myself, when I'm at that point in my journey, you know, what do I want to be what do I want to have known that I did and that I felt and that I experienced? And for me, I thought about that during the, that really difficult time at the Post-Gazette. It, that came to me, that moment of remembering how I felt watching them die, thinking to myself, is this, am I going to let this be a defining moment for me in, now that I would think on later and say, I'm glad I did what I did. I'm glad I stood up for myself. I'm glad that I acknowledge my own humanity in this, you know? So it, I don't know that sounds over the top, but that was just, that's just Those the truth. Those experiences are defining moments in people's yes, lives. Yes. Yes. And you recognize that in, in sometimes a, in odd ways. That's you know? when you can change course. That's when yep. you take another perspective of view from above. Yes. You certainly do. So we often tell people generally what I tell my patients is on the first day I meet them is, I say we're spiritual beings. Mm -hmm. We're having a human experience. Right. It's the human experience that doodles our life up, okay? It's our yeah. attachment to that and that life is absurd. Yeah. We try to make order out of chaos. Right. And when you grasp those three things, our work will be done. And I love that because I've been trying to take a lighter approach to life in, in, in that way, meaning it's okay to just try things. It's okay to let go of things. It's okay to change your trajectory. It's okay to change your dream. Well, we always try to figure it's out things. People ask me, what type of a person would do that? I said, well, that type of person. Right, exactly. They would. Exactly. They would. Exactly. Yeah, and I think trying to find that sense of control in the chaos really comes down to how do you want to be in that space? Well, the Buddhists have three gates that a word can pass through before it leaves their lips and being mindful of those. Mm -hmm. Is it true? Mm -hmm. Is it kind? And is it necessary? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think that that's everything right there, especially the is it necessary part. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> I think that's the real final filter. Is I it do too. Necessary? Is it necessary? Yes. And it's funny, too, because some of the petty things that, you know, you may have gotten involved with prior to COVID and all of these things. You know, I was having a conversation with my friend the other day and we were just saying, what's there to even argue about with people? What's there to really even fight about? I mean, this is... This is a different time now. And I, and I remember my grandmother saying that. She she lived to be 94. And she was brilliant, like sharp as a tack, funny, the whole deal. If she was here right now, she'd be chiming in on this conversation, giving us her opinions too. But, you know, she had five sis, five siblings. And they never fought. They were the closest. I mean, I, I grew up with all of them around. And 
it was wild. You know, they, they were all just laughing all the time. And, and I used to say to her, how do you never fight with your sisters? How? She'd say, what's there to fight about? And I think it's back to what you're saying. Is it necessary? You know, the little things that might annoy you or what's, is it really? It's so, not important. It's not important. And I, I think that's where I'm at in my life in this moment is just what's actually important to me. And what am I actually going to invest my energy into? How do you choose to invest your energy? That's right. So generally, I'll tell people, I'll ask them, I'll say, who do you trust so much in your life that if they said fall, I'll catch you, you'd fall without hesitation? Mm-hmm. Or I asked them, I said, if everything was taken away from you, who'd be standing you with you at the end? Right. Who would never leave you? And then I tell them, that's important. That's right. Add to and reinforce that relationship. That's right. And I'm pretty blunt about it. I'll say, yeah. the rest of thing is nonsense. Yeah. Most people are acquaintances and temporary. <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's been interesting because I've, a lot of people have asked me since I've left the, the scene column, you know, don't you miss it? And, you know, I feel, I feel the sense of guilt when I say I don't because I don't. And I thought I would or you would think that you would, but I don't. And it's and, and I think that sort of is part of like the what's important and these relationships that matter. Right. It's like, well, these were this was a time in my life. This was a chapter of my life. I'm on to the next chapter. I'm, I'm writing a new chapter. I've turned a page and that's OK. You know? Every stage of your life demands a new you. Yeah. Most people are friends of commonality. Mm-hmm. It's the commonality that holds you together, right. like working together, That's being true. on That's a golf true. team, being on a bowling team, yeah. working on some type of a project. And when that's over, when that commonality no longer exists, that's it's, so th- true. there's no animosity or ill no, will. No, 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 no. It's just the, that's just, you're so right. I never really thought about there's that. There's two, way. life is like, a huge ocean with mm-hmm. currents and sometimes we flow yeah. concurrently mm-hmm. and without any ill will or animosity we flow in other directions yeah and i've also been like meditating a lot on the idea of expansion and contraction of your life like sometimes your life feels very expansive and big and right now i feel like my life feels small and intimate but not in a bad way it's just sort of like Right now, the things that are fo- I'm focused on are just, it's a smaller amount, right? And then sometimes, you know, for the past how many years, it was a huge amount. And so this idea of sort of this expanding and contracting world, too, and how that impacts the way in which you interact with yourself and with each other. Well, what we try to impress upon people, Natalie, is that they're important. Yeah. I keep, when people Intrinsic say- Intrinsic value. Can I do this? Can I do that? I says, yes, you can, because you're important. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I try to look at- that the world in that way too, that everybody has something to offer. And, and also this, I've been reading a lot and thinking and meditating a lot on the concept of productivity and how we really link that to a value of a human and how dangerous that is and how rooted in capitalism that is, that is, and how rooted in white supremacy that is. And this idea that if you're not a productive person by these very specific standards that we've set out, that you are not very valuable and how that harms us, right? Because we're all going to be, we, we talk about this disabled community, like they, they, they don't, you know, they, they're sort of sequestered away. And at some point we may all experience disability, right? As we age or something may happen, an, an accident. And suddenly does your life mean it's that you're not as important or that you lose value as a human? And so I, I've really been meditating once again on this juxtaposition between productivity and then the revolution that is known as rest. And how do you bring more rest into your life? And 
de-link yourself from the idea of I'm good because I'm useful, you know, instead of just saying I'm important because I'm here and there's, I can do things just because I'm here and I have value because I exist in this moment. So that's where I'm trying to go with my own personal evolving philosophy is moving away from the idea of a human doing and moving towards the idea of a human being. Yes. Well, one of the discussion points that we had the last time, and I hope we can get together to discuss this more in depth, is one of my favorite issues is to help young ladies find their voice, work on their Mm self-concept, work on their Mm self-esteem, understanding that they're important and they don't have to present themselves in a certain way. I'm more interested, like we talked about before, the requirements it takes to be with them rather than what they have to offer. Exactly. And and I think that takes a more egalitarian approach and less of a hierarchical approach. And and that's something that I think collectively we need to decide. And that's why I think this upcoming election is going to be really interesting because whichever way it goes is really going to dis- define for us who we've decided we want to be. And so collectively speaking, I think we really need to reflect on who are we as a nation, as a people, and, you know, as a civilization, as a society, what are the values that we hold to actually be important Well, to a mission statement. We need a mission. Well, this country needs a new mission statement, well, that's for well, sure. A few years ago, we were up in uh, Boston. We happened to pass by uh, Paul Revere's grave and mm-hmm. thinking about all those things. We went to his house and moving around Boston. And I... Uh, we did a podcast on declaring your own declaration of independence. Hmm. So everybody can write their own declaration of independence from something. It might be from cigarette smoking. It right. might be from chewing your fingernails or eating too many banana popsicles. <laughs> but you can pick something and declare your declaration of independence from it. Yeah, and I think that's an awesome idea and people should – that's a fun exercise to try, I think, because – yeah, we we all need to, I think, free ourselves from something as much as we want to free ourselves to be able to do things. I think we should be freeing ourselves from some things, too. Well, sure. If you remember the last time we were together down at my office down on East Liberty was when we talked about how monkeys are trapped. I don't remember. When there's a, there's a mesh cage. It's rather humane. It's, a mesh cage is built with mm-hmm. a hole cut just big enough for the monkey to get their hand in. Mm-hmm. So when the monkey, and there's something inside that the monkey wants, some food or whatever shiny thing, and the monkey gets his hand in there and he grasps it. And when he grasps it, he, with his fist, he can no longer, he can no longer pull his arm out. Mm. But the monkey will not let that go. <laughs> so what we help people wow. do, mm. we help people do, what I'll do is I'll have a mason jar and I'll have them put their hand in and they can pull it out in and out. But then I'll ask them what type of things they're holding on to, like jealousy or resentment or mm. material things or sadness or grief. And I'll put it in, and then I'll, each one I'll put a stone in, and I'll have them grab, go in again and grab the stones, and then they can't pull their hand out and they're trapped. That's so, that's so interesting. And that makes a lot of sense. So the idea is to identify mm-hmm. and release those things that are holding you back. In the 12-step world, we call it dropping the rock. I like that. Drop the rock. Drop the rock. Uh-huh. That's very cool. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> great. So uh, I hope that uh, you can join us again. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to. I'd love to, again, explore 
the concept of uh, what I would call female emancipation. Sure. And as always, at the end of every podcast, we offer a free prescription, fruits, nuts, and vegetables, unplug your television, and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Do a kindness for yourself. Do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself and forgive another. Till all are free, none are free. Namaste. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.